0: Um, that is, of course, uh, American for Actung Actung, and I know this because um, at the weekend I watched the I uh, watched some
1: of the movie Midway.
0: Um, uh, appropriately, I started halfway through. Um, it's have you seen it, Jim?
1: Yeah, yeah, I had. I did. Uh, I I got employed <laughs> to do some some public relations for it. Oh <laughs> so my I god! Go, I had to go on, on and do indeed. loads of radio <laughs> radio interviews and talk about um, about what really happened. You <laughs> see Midway. the guy that. Uh,
0: because best the guy they based it on you read yeah. Best's story it's an amazing story right yeah and,
1: yeah yeah you know, he is amazing
0: he's an amazing guy he never flew again guy. yeah i know cuz 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 he you know um what was it hydrogen cl- chloride or something in his in his oxygen system wasn't it at altitude yeah he got he got massive lungs god lung his lungs and it yeah and that's right and it reactivated some na- some like latent tb he had like it's yeah. it's an it, was, it was like the
1: wartime equivalent of long COVID for him. Yeah, it?
0: yeah, but but basically, what he wasn't was a guy going around going, "I'm going to show these
1: Japanese
0: what." It's just like the machismo in it is insane. Yeah,
1: like, yeah, yeah, um, it is, uh,
0: isn't it? And the the really funny scene where um, uh, uh when Nimitz is taken to meet the codebreaker to have it yeah. explained to him, like uh, yeah. uh, um, and it's Woody Harrelson who I love, and, and you can I don't know, he's much
1: better in Red Line.
0: Oh God, yeah. But he just feels. He feels like um, someone recently. A, a, a comedian I know recently described Daniel Craig in the Bond films as like, as like he's he, he's doing Coriolanus in Paw Patrol, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's very good.
1: Uh,
0: and um, and that's really that's really what um, that's really what Woody Harrelson in that. It, I mean, it's terrible. And the dive bombing, the way the dive bombing is portrayed as them as them, g- g- literally diving vertical. on vertically yeah like straight mm. down on the on the vertical it's, it's absurd isn't it
1: yeah
0: it is I mean, absurd i mean uh, i thought the action sequences are quite exciting
1: though i well, mean they're
0: incredible they're incredibly exciting but but also but also absurd i thought the submarine uh, action sequences actually were really really good they're, i mean they're, they're very brief but i really liked those i thought those work those work well because because also they can't change the story of, you know, that sub that wastes all that destroyer's time that then, as a result, or is it a cruiser's yeah. time they waste? And as a result, that, that 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 is the ship that's then spotted steaming back to the carrier group. The wake of that ship leads them to the, you know, like, blah, blah. the way the jigsaw of the story should
1: all work, but instead... I, I just find, <laughs> what I find amazing about all those war films, um, and I haven't watched Mince Me yet, and I haven't quite got around to watching Munich, yeah. but I'm absolutely yeah. going to... But but nearly all of them disappoint, partly because the history's bad, but partly because they're trying to turn it into something it wasn't. When yeah. the original is actually so much better than the thing they're yeah, trying yeah. to turn it into. Yeah, and yeah. I never understand this because you know, listen, I've read I've read Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. You know, I've, yeah. I've you know I've read loads of books about movie script writing. So yeah. it's not like I'm talking from the position of being a complete kind of. Hollywood script ignoramus. Yeah, you know there are there are there is narrative art. There are principles. There are rules, as the three acts all the rest of it. When you're doing a Hollywood script, the problem is with all this stuff, is the original is so much better. Yeah, <laughs> there's absolutely you know, the, no the, need. The to... real drama is better. You don't need. You know, yeah. it is actually much more. It would be much more thrilling to see a dive bombing, dive bombing at an angle, because it's clearly harder to aim. Yeah. <laughs> which makes it more exciting and more, you know, more yeah. jeopardy. You yeah. know, anyone watching that is never going to, in a million years, believe that a dive bomber is diving vertically and then suddenly, miraculously, kind of pull out of the last.
0: Well, which is, what, and,
1: which is what he does, you know. Which is
0: wh- and what. And it just Be- looks absurd. It does. It looks. It look, I mean, it. I mean, the, 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 there's a previous scene where they attack an airbase, where Best attacks an airbase and basically blows up all the aircraft on the on the on the runway. You know, and a, and a hanger, but yeah. and he's dive bombed vertically and pulls out. And you think, and the with the and the bloke's going, you know, his is his gunner or navigator, whatever. You know, the the, the bloke behind him is going four thousand, we assume feet, right? I'm assuming yeah. feet, to, you know, three and a half thousand, three thousand, two thousand, fifteen hundred feet. You think? But they're they're going. It's vertical. They're dead. If you're, you're hundred feet, you know. Yeah, you're
1: not pulling out of that. What?
0: what, what? And, yeah. and so I basically sat there going, "What?" A lot of it, and like you say, there's just there is just there's just no need. And you know, there's really interesting stuff in that. that you know, obviously the, the 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 Japanese carrier group have to have to control their fire for fear of hitting the carriers. You know they have to control their anti-aircraft fire, so there's this sort of game of cat and mouse that the plane. It's not just this sort of wall of video video game fire which you have in the which you have in the um, film. You know where it's it's literally like a video game, like a firework displays. He's f- yep. flying down at the at the at the carrier. You know they, they they have to hold their fire for for fear. You know there's all that going on. The yeah, pilots yeah, yeah. obviously yep. knew that. You know, like so they they knew that they had to. That's what they had, that there was. Yep. It wasn't just. Point the plane at the thing from a vast height and pull out a thousand feet.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's it's, it's absolutely absurd. I mean, th- that is. A, I suppose they're all thinking, okay. So lots of people play Call of Duty. Lots of people yeah, yeah. play, you know, World of Tanks. And have seen what Star we need to do Wars. is do it. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, When well, we need to do a kind of sort of movie version of this. Yeah. Um, to get the younger generation in. Yeah. Yeah, but actually, the, if, you made a, if you just made a really good war film, everyone yeah. would watch it. Well, there's all the sort of top and also
0: in it, in it as well. You know, like the, the, any film with aviation, American aviation with aircraft carriers is in is you know is in the lee of the of the Top Gun of Top Gun.
1: There's nothing yes. you could
0: and there's sort of nothing you can do. Well, arguably, there's plenty you could do about that cinematically. You could actually decide rather than follow you could lead with the film. Um, uh, but, you, but you know that that's that's
1: movie making, isn't it? And and, and yeah, and yeah, yeah is, and everyone everyone has to be unbelievably ripped. And everyone yeah. has to talk 100% in cliches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, and it's so boring because, actually, how much cooler would it be to actually have someone who's actually looked a bit wimpy? But I turned it... Yeah, exactly. Just a scrawny guy. I mean, <laughs> just I a scrawny guy, it, which nearly all pilots were in those days. Yeah, I mean, I turned it,
0: I turned it off before the Yorktown got hit. Not because right. I thought, not because I thought, oh, um, you know... Um, I can't possibly cope with the idea of the Americans losing a carrier, right? <laughs> because they're the good guys. But just basically because I, th- I was bored. I th- thought that this is boring. Which is yeah. how you make the story of the Battle of Midway boring?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is amazing. Which is is you know, and it's I've been to quite actually. I've been doing quite a lot of. Um, I mean, we can maybe talk about this in a minute. But I've been doing a little bit on the um, on the Pacific War, and, and ah. fascinating it is too. Well,
0: after all, after all, eight, it's 80 years ago today. A U.S. committee appointed to investigate the attack on Pearl Harbor blamed Admiral Husband E. Kimmel and Lieutenant General Walter Short for feigning to take appropriate measures off the warnings they'd been given. They got death threats. Unbelievable. By the way, you're listening to We Have Ways to Make You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. We just plunged straight in, didn't we?
1: Yeah, yeah, but to be, to be honest, I mean, receiving death threats then, you know, that was obviously a bigger deal than it is now. Where yeah. getting death threats now is obviously you know, well, yeah, from from Lord, Muzzle, right?
0: yes, exactly, from Lord Scrotum five nine two seven on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You
1: ought to be dead. I'm going to kill you. Okay, yeah, or, exactly. Whatever.
0: Um, by the way, we'll, we'll, we'll just do... Should we do our admin? Because we've, we've got a little bit of admin to do. A little bit of admin, yeah. Yeah, OK. Um, a reminder, this July, we are holding our, a major Second World War festival in a field near Silverstone Racetrack in Buckinghamshire. Somewhere, our second... somewhere
1: in a field in Exactly, North somewhere fans. in
0: a field in England. Um, uh, um, if you'd like to see the greatest collection of Second World War military vehicles assembled since the launch... Of uh, Operation Veritable, I'm going for today. Why not join us? Um, there'll be a host of brilliant speakers. We'll be firing some very large and noisy guns. There'll be beer, movies, and music. Um, uh, uh, those that came before, we can reassure you, it's a different program, um, uh, but it's the same vibe. Go to our website for ticket information. That's wehavewayspod.com/festival weekend tickets. Date
1: ticket, yeah, yeah, and some A1 historians coming.
0: Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, Max we Max Hastings we
1: need- on Churchill. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's not a heavy pencil either. That's an, uh, that's that's written in, that's in sharpie. That's bold. That's that's, that's permanent. In, that's that's, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Yep, that's happening. That's absolutely fantastic. I mean, I am I, um absolutely fantastic. On this Thursday's pod, um, we have a fascinating conversation with Caroline Shenton in which she she, she explains the extraordinary lengths Britain went to in order to safeguard our national art treasures. That was an incredible chat, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and I really liked her. She had a really, really nice twinkle, didn't she? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and, and wry sense of humour.
0: And it's got the lot, isn't it? It's eccentrics and... and, arty people and all that sort of thing. If you love the quirky, almost eccentric aspects of the war, this is for you. And for those that aren't aware, we run a members club here at We Have Ways of Making You Talk. It's called The Independent Company. It costs £6 a month, including the VAT. And for that, you get tonnes of extra content and discussions, plus regular live streams where we do the pod in a private part of YouTube. Um, uh, and uh, amongst the content, content, a pair of silver wings, uh, James Holland's uh, Tale of Love and Spitfire's,
1: beautifully read beautifully read be- beautifully by Willow. read I must drop Mu- her a note actually by Willow uh,
0: Murray um, my daughter um, who uh, was I, I, strong armed into reading for us last year and actually really loved it and has done an amazing job on a couple of books for us last week we had an exclusive screening of a new documentary about a young man who wanted to find the family of a fallen Japanese soldier his great grandfather had brought back a Jack- Japanese Hinumaru flag covered in good luck messages and he felt it should be returned to its rightful owners it's an extraordinary story and then on Twitter someone else popped up oh my grandpa's got one of these and obviously then the pressure's on to return
1: it <coughs> yeah there's someone else that said yeah me too and yeah, <laughs> thought yeah. we knew where we are we had a dozen of them
0: yeah it's a very very moving <laughs> that very moving film It got very dusty um during the live cast for many of our regular viewers next monday we've got ian mcgregor joining us to talk about the extraordinary research he's done onto the battle on the battle of stalingrad absolutely incredible stuff that we've got coming with it uh, ian um, he'll be sharing some fabulous material, and if you're at all interested in that, do come along. And I know we don't do the Eastern Front enough. I think sometimes when we do the Eastern Front, we descend into sort of generalities. So it would be quite, it would be quite good. In fact, it will be brilliant to talk about. the, yeah, deep, know, dive,
1: the deep dive, deep
0: dive, deep dive. Epic battle. Um, to join the members club, go to Patreon. That's P A T R E O N. Um, Papa Alpha. Um, now, am I right in thinking the phonetic alphabet was different during the Second World War? Did it yeah, settle down?
1: Yeah. Right. So dog, easy Charlie.
0: That's right. Akak was A as well for a bit, wasn't it? Because yeah, the first yeah, world war it, they, was they develop, it was able able, but they develop a, a phonetic alphabet during the first world war, and they're all quite. It's all quite. So it's Tok Emma and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, sort of quite, yeah. Yeah. Quite, yeah.
0: Quite different. Anyway, that's Patreon p a t r e o n dot com slash we have ways. Um. Uh. If you want to join and um. Now. Should we, should we do this interesting correspondence from an Italian listener?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah.
0: have an Italian listener, first of all. How about that, Hey? Eh? Yeah. Fantastic. Now, I, she's called Madeleine, and she says, I started listening to, your, to current episodes of your brilliant podcast, and are now getting going back to the beginning on a binge. Oh, crikey. Um, I just listened to an early episode where you talked about the Mafia and repeated a bit of Mussolini propaganda that is alive and well. He did not tame the Mafia. It's complicated, but there is a brilliant explanation in Italian, alas, in a recent book that goes through all the myth, mish, myths about fascism, including the one about trains by Francesco Filippi. One thing in common about the Mafia and punctual trains myth is that information was controlled by the fascist state Mussolini himself. In 1931, <laughs> They passed a law that prohibited criticizing the government or publishing negative news stories. <clears throat> so, no reports about bad train service or mafia crime or parties at Downing Street. Hey, presto. It looks like trains are arriving when they should, and the mafia guys are concentrating on gardening and playing cards instead of putting horses' heads in people's beds. The mafia story is way more complex and interesting. Un saluto cordiale, Madeline. There you go.
1: Well, interesting, Grazie a mille, Madeline. That's yes, all I can say that. But, Prego. Prego. But I would. I would, I would... <laughs> slightly question what she's saying there because um, I don't think I ever said that the Mafia was tamed. What I said was it was dormant by 1943. Um, yeah. and, and they did this big... So so he sends over his strong-arm guy called Cesare Mori, who is this yeah. police officer from I think Milan or Turin or something like that. Yeah. Turin, I think. To, to Sicily, right? To Sicily, yeah. To kind of sort out the Mafia because because... You know, there's only one central authority and that's Mussolini and the and the fascists, and you can't have all these mafioso types kind of sort of swanning around. Yeah. It's just just not allowed. And he goes over there and he massively kicks ass, and he imprisons eleven thousand mafiosi from Sicily alone oh, um hell. in prisons without trial, um uh, and they just languish there. And the senior mafia guys, um you know, a lot of them then then hot it over to America, which is one of the reasons why there are, you know, because obviously there's huge huge opportunities in the United States. There's a big huge yeah. amounts of, um, I think something like over a million Sicilians moved to Italy yeah. in the kind of first decade of the 20th, 20th century. So there's lots of connections over there. There's lots of opportunities and you can sort of lie low. Yeah. It's absolutely without question that the Mafia was still still very much kind of beating and alive and operating. Um, yeah. Throughout the 1930s, because Mori goes back to back to Italy in 1930 yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so absolutely it was. But what you haven't got anymore is sort of small-time bandits, cattle, cattle rustlers, all this kind of stuff. They, they've yeah. basically been locked up. What yeah. you've got is the main mafia organisation still in Sicily, but kind of keeping a much lower profile. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know they they are absolutely doing stuff and, and absolutely keeping and they're just sort of biding their time and and they're still sort of keeping a grip of things but they're not as overt as they were yeah. and there is a there is a a possibility that the mafia could have just sort of eventually kind of sort of been kicked into touch and sort of just become irrelevant yeah. had it not been for the allied invasion in 1943 yeah um i mean you know the one thing where where Madeline is absolutely correct is, of course, anything to do with the mafia is incredibly complex, yeah. um, multi-layered, um, nuanced, and all those sort of things. Well, and also and, it's it's
0: it's one of those sort of phenomena where it adapts and survives, doesn't it? So um, you absolutely. know, absolutely, that they imprison the they imprison all the high-profile people, and so it you know it, I mean after all we all know about maf- mafia operations being run from inside prisons, so it's not like that. It's not like that. Has ever stopped anybody? Is it you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you you know, I, I think to say they were sort of lying dormant in the kind of by the end of the nineteen thirties nineteen forties is is that's probably a, a, a justified way of saying it. It's probably a bit more than dormant because dormant suggests that it's completely asleep and it's not really happening. Yeah. But, yeah, but but yeah. It, it absolutely is happening. But what is absolutely without question is that the the mafia is is given a kind of a massive reboot once the allies come into power. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and once the allies get I am mean, not coming to power, and once the allies get into Sicily, well, for all um, and sorts the whole of, thing, the whole of Allied civil affairs is completely run by the yeah, mafia, yeah,
0: yeah, yes, for all sorts of cynical, bitter reasons, basically, it's like it's just easier to easier to do it, isn't it?
1: it's it, it, it. yeah, when you you've got you've got an organization there which has has tentacles, you know, very, very strong tentacles in the u s yep um you want to te- you want to conquer um Sicily as quickly as possible you have no idea what the opposition's going to be when yep. you're making all the plans yep. and you've yep. got a you've got a you've got a an organization which is anti fascist which is anti the current regime and which can <laughs> ferment discord I mean- and things i think you'd probably want to use it. Well, I think anti-fascist is a quite interesting way of describing that. I mean, opposed to government. <laughs> the, the, yes, um, but, mean, but I, very, very... Well, not, not entirely opposed to government, actually. Well, you no. know what? Well, well, well... Uh, opposed uh, opposed to, to a central dictator telling them what they can and can't do. What they well, like and opposed to where they're, where they're given a free hand to do whatever well, they well, like. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, and opposed to um, democratic governments that insist on the rule of law.
1: <laughs> and yes, yes, that as impartial well. In partial courts and Yeah, that stuff. as well. Absolutely. But the point is... If you've, oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. if you've got that group there, you might, as well, you know, from an ally point of view, you're going to you're going to do anything you can to I ease mean, the your ma- passage into Sicily.
0: I mean, the Mafia is anti-communist too, isn't it? Let's be honest now. The Mafia yeah. is uh... it's basically anti
1: everything <laughs> apart from <laughs> them being given itself. a free ride. <laughs> yeah, that is very true.
0: Um, so, anyway, so anyway, tell us, uh, tell us about got... the
1: Pacific. You've been looking at the Pacific. Right? Well, hold on, I just want to see something something right, else okay. that came in, which was really nice. So I got I got an email out of the blue from a chap called Jeff Morn who um, had been reading Brothers in Arms. Yes. And he said, um, I was particularly struck by your account of the death of Dennis Elmore and the grief right. of his friends at his sudden yep. loss just yep. days before the final surrender. So yep. Dennis Elmore was killed on the 19th of April. Yes, just yep. outside Bremen. Yeah. Dennis's parents live next door to my grandparents in Hildenborough, Kent, and were good friends of our family. My God. As a young boy destined to go to Tunbridge School myself, I remember visiting Dennis's home in the 1950s and meeting his parents, Nora and John Elmore. Mrs Elmore took me upstairs to Dennis's bedroom. She kept it like a shrine to her son. The room was exactly the way he had left it the day he went off to France and she dusted and cleaned it faithfully in his memory. I don't think she ever got over his loss. He was her blue-eyed boy, and this must have been difficult for Dennis's sister, Sheila. Blimey. I know. Blimey. I know. I read that. And I thought, holy moly. Gosh. Yeah. 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 So I was really, I was really touched to get that note. And um, well, it's yeah, very just, moving. Just in in the
0: it's very moving in Brothers and Arms when you get to that. Um, uh, anyway, well. I so, was moved by yeah, it, I yeah, can tell yeah, you I mean yeah. you know and
1: that incredible letter from Stuart Hills oh, his best yeah, friend who's yeah. you know who's who, they've, they've been besties since they went to Tunbridge together they kind yeah. of opened the batting at Lords in summer of 1942 together they kind of went off to war together yeah. joined the Sherwood Rangers and that letter he writes where he just says you know I loved him more than anyone else in the world and the bottom has fallen out of my yeah. world Yeah, you know that raw grief is incredible
0: uh, heartbreaking yeah
1: yeah you know and life gosh. doesn't you know life doesn't just go on i mean it no. does but it but, but well it the doesn't. problem
0: is is it doesn't it doesn't doesn't it is that is that is that it has to um that's the thing with grief isn't it is it is it yeah. casts that pull that uh, shadow yeah um uh yeah in by creating absence i mean it's the strangest uh, strangest thing to deal with um gosh um right now so the pacific Jim. You, you said you were um well i'll tell you what we'll take a break and then we'll come back to the pacific Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Um, uh, we haven't gone around the houses exactly in that first part, but we've, we've been suitably digressionary. But now we're going to talk about the Pacific. You've been looking into the war in the East, Jim.
1: Yeah, well, I I do think sort of, you know, midway is is, is such a remarkable and, and crucial victory that we were talking about earlier on. Yeah. Because it's the time where the Americans attacking the, the Japanese at their strongest. Yeah. You know, the, the you know, the Japanese have, have not really... The Japanese Navy hasn't really co- been confronted, so they're all really highly trained. They're incredibly yeah. highly motivated. You know, all the commanders are top-notch. They all know what they're about. They've got, you know, all their, their kit is pretty much up to date. Yeah. And so it's such a vital, vital victory because although there are further Japanese victories, that's the big kind of decisive one that kind of points the way to... Yeah. A kind of sort of a, a growing tr- gradual incremental growing trend of american dominance which is obviously yeah. powered first and foremost by their greater industrialization yeah yeah but, yeah, by, yeah but 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 amazingly although that is that is the summer of you know the Mid- midway is is midway in the pacific midway in the summer of 1942 yeah you then got the the, the decisive battle of guadalcanal so if 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 midway is the big naval engagement which changed things, Guadalcanal is then the subsequent land battle that that also changes things because it turns into a slugging match in which yep, he, yep. which side can 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 um uh, um supply the island better is going to win, and and obviously that ends up being the U.S. Yeah, but then you've got 1943. So Guadalcanal and the Solomons, you know, that takes you into kind of February 1943. It's a big old yeah. battle from yeah. kind of you know, yeah. August onwards, August 42 to February 1943. So that's a long time. Yeah. And then you've got the rest of Solomons and you've got sort of going into New Guinea and bypassing Rabul and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, so that's 1943. And so by the end of 1943, all those sort of, you know, Trident and, and, and you know, those big Allied conferences, they kind of yeah. kind of work out what's going on. Yeah. You know, what's the priority and how do we do this? And we've got to sort of, you know, we've we've now, this is now the autumn of 1943. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, hang on a minute, we've got to sort of, you know, haven't we got to get a shift on with this? Well, yes, absolutely. Because the situation is, is. is starting to turn in Europe. So so a bit more focus can be thrown at, at the Pacific. And we now know where, you know, from an Allied yeah. point of view, they now yeah. know where they're at and yeah. what they can do and yeah. what can be achieved and, and what can be achieved in the future with the things that are coming through. The B-29 project, which yeah. isn't there yet, but is, is you know, in the pipeline. Yeah. Increased number of US submarines, increased number of, of just US ships full stop. Yeah. And there is this, as you know, there's this huge divergence about, about what to do what should be the strategy should it be the central Pacific. you know you've done the south pacific which is the solomons all those little islands you know north of australia and all the rest of it so now you're going to central pacific which is all those little atolls the marianas the gilberts the marshall islands which sort of sprinkle across the central pacific then you've got the main to the to the kind of west of that you've then got the kind of asian Pacific landmass. You've got the Philippines. Yep. You've got, yep. you know, you've got got Malaya and Thailand and uh, uh, and, and China. Yep. So the, the the rough kind of naval argument. And this is this is Admiral King's argument. So Admiral King is the absolute. He is the top naval dog. He's the yeah. the chief of the naval staff. He's the yeah. absolute overall in charge. Whereas Nimitz is the kind of the guy
0: on oh, no. the guy having to actually. Enact the things. That, yeah,
1: yeah. He the, he's a he's a sort of commander. You know, he's he's the top admiral yeah. in charge of the navy. But yeah. but King is the kind of overall kind of overseer of the whole thing. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And King's big argument is, if you want to beat Japan, you've got to kind of cut off their you've got to cut off their supply lines. Yeah, that's the way to do it. You can argue you you can go into go into the Philippines, and you can carry on fighting in Burma, but that's actually not gonna. Yeah. Stop the the Japanese. What you really want to do is 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 have a noose around Japan's home islands and yeah. cut that off and yeah. cut cut out their ability to supply themselves, and yeah. then they're stuffed. Yeah, there is still obviously a very very good argument for fighting in Burma and 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 for destroying the Burma Army area because yeah. that has a direct effect on southern China. Yeah and supplies into yeah, you know yeah. across the hump and all the rest Amer- of it and, Yeah, America's and, obligations know, and, to China. Yes, and if you can cut off the Burma road, you know which goes into you know which is a supply line from Rangoon, then yeah. that's obviously really really good as well and that will ease the situation in China. But to a large extent, you know King King's right, the the the, the cause of conflict is that MacArthur has said, you know, when he leaves the Philippines I will return. Yeah. And and it's and it's more than just beating Japan, it's him getting back and his ego, and yeah, you know, and all the rest of it. So, there's, there's, so there's a conflict going on between kind of the army and the navy, the US Navy, and the US Army. But to a certain extent, Taylor's on time, that though, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, it is. And both, both MacArthur and I mean, King is kind of superior to MacArthur, and and King is in kind of Washington. And talking to the chief of Staff all the time, yeah. whereas MacArthur is in, you know, he's in Northern yeah. Australia. So he's, yeah. he's you know, clearly King's going to have the sort of greatest inf- influence. Yeah. But there is no question that the logistics and challenges of fighting the Central um, Pacific campaign mm. Are, mm. Are, are absolutely huge. Yeah. But there are things that kind of work very much in the US favour. And that is that by... 19 beginning of 1944, end of 1943, yeah. beginning of 1944. The Japanese are just in the most enormous hole from the point of view of their navy. Yeah. And generally, because of course, as we know, they've been, you know, Japan as a nation has been fighting a war since 1937. Well, they've
0: been they've been at it basically forever, haven't they? They're, they're, I mean, the Japanese are first in, last out in the Second World War, aren't they? Essentially. Um, yes. Uh, 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 and. And I mean, when we talked to Rob, Rob, not so long ago, Rob Lyman, not so long ago, he, he posits that basically that the, the, the Pearl Harbor is the last roll of their dice, of the Japanese dice. And, and the series of campaigns that go with it, you know, the, all those imperial grabs in the Far East are all their last chance because they're trying to keep the war. in. the only way to keep the war in China going is to start a war somewhere else. Because Otherwise, the whole thing just will suck back into itself and collapse. You know, there's, it's the accumulator betting.
1: Um, yeah, uh, I, I, but, 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 you, you know, and Rob was talking about, wasn't he? He was talking about the fact that, that, you know, they had all this oil from Burma, yeah, and they and Malaya, don't do anything, they, and they literally
0: it, don't do anything with it, yeah.
1: yeah. That's because they can't, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's
1: because by the time they need it, by the time they got it, yeah, they're running out of shipping, yeah, yeah, yeah and what's the priority and the priority is to maintain the status quo so it's it's, it's supplying the troops on these atolls in you know the yeah. Marianas and the Marshalls yeah. and the Gilberts is is taking priority over getting oil back yeah because because supplying those atolls and maintaining your status quo maintaining that that huge area that huge sweep of the Pacific yeah. which you have can control is right there and then their priority yeah but of course, it, it's, it's bonkers because then they, then they kind of only lose it. But once they lose it, of course, then they're starting to get in range of American air force. So, so the, yeah. the, the the point is, they've just overextended, well, and they and can't c- do it. They're they're, in, they're then then caught in a trap where they can't retrench, but they can't afford to keep yeah. it
0: either. Well, and it turns into the and it turns into the man who defends everything defends nothing, doesn't it? Because
1: basically they exactly
0: they they, they expose them they exposing themselves. To lots and lots of points of attrition, <clears throat> yep. um, and you know you have to supply each of these places, places which exposes your shipping, which exposes your, you know, the, 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 by creating these creating these these issues of supply lines, they offer themselves hostages to the Americans essentially, don't they? It's the, it, it's a, sort of yep. as simple as that, isn't it? Which is which yep. is interesting because because if you're if island hopping and bypassing some of the islands is the strategy the Americans end up at. Kind of whatever the Japanese do, they're offering the Americans targets. They're offering them a, a points of attrition and points of destruction, aren't they? Yeah. So, so absolutely. So it's a strategy that can only really go wrong. Whereas, had there been more, I mean, it, you know, it's the, again the question we asked. We, we, we talked to Rob. We asked him, well, you know, what? It, I, I, and who else did we talk to about this? You know, is Pearl Harbor inevitable? Do do the Jap Do we talked about this in December week, didn't we? Do the Japanese have an option not to go into Pearl Harbor, and obviously not not to not to attack the Americans, not to involve the Americans, and obviously they feel they they feel they have no option but to. But it's the prob the all the it's I mean in, in many ways it's like Barbarossa. It's that it's all very well it going well the for for the first bit. It's then the, the the opportunities you offer your enemy by exposing yourself so massively. You you, you know what I mean. The, the, yeah, the, the, they're very, they're very, very similar to one another in a way, aren't they? Because Barbarossa yep. is sort of betting on an accumulator and rolling the dice because you've run out of stuff, you've run out of road, you know, and and you know, which is the Adam Two's argument. Of course, is it's much more to do with that than it is ideologically motivated, you know, and and you could, you know, is that what is that what's influencing Japanese thinking? And it's interesting they kind of happen around about the same ran about yeah. the same time, you know. I mean, it's all very how tangled that! Up? I mean, obviously, my my thing with the with my feeling about what Adam Two says is is yes, but look at the people who are in charge. Who's to say they're making rational economic decisions anyway? Because they're all yeah, they're which all, are clearly they're clearly not. Are they? They're all balmy. So, um, oh guys, a cup of tea has just arrived. Oh, it's coffee in a Monty in, mug as well Maybe. in a Monty mug. Yeah, a cup of coffee in my Monty. Ah, mug. That's, very that. that's very good. That's very good. Black. Java. But but but, but, so, but so so you know what I mean. So but yeah, I think really. Mean, but the thing that's really striking, though, when you, if you go back to Midway, is how aggressive the Americans are being. Immediately,
1: there isn't. Well, it's 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 also against a really really good opposition. Well, but that, so, but that, so, so... well
0: that's my point. That's exactly my point. <clears throat> if you as as a, a react, uh, you know, because essentially Midway is the first time the Americans have gathered their skirts and the, and it's their first proper reaction to Pearl Harbor. A, you know, the Billy Mitchell raid, whatever. That you know, that's a that's that's that's. Propaganda, isn't it really that yeah. that air raid? More than anything else, but the Doolittle the fa- raid. The do- Sorry, yes. The, yeah. the do- why did I say Billy Mitchell? What's he got to do with it? The Doolittle raid. Yeah. Anyway, um, it, it, that's propaganda, isn't it? But the but the but the the way they're being so aggressive when they are mis and they know they're mismatched, and it's you know it's interesting in the in the battle itself on Midway the, the, the Japanese have this doctrine of what you do is you launch everything all at once for the absolute maximum concentration of force. The Shre-Punkt. It, it, exactly, and and they're simply applying they're simply applying those basic those very simple principles to 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 carrier warfare. The Americans are like, we're just gonna we haven't practiced that, we don't have that up our sleeve, so we're just gonna. Spruance is like, we're just gonna chuck everything we possibly can in whatever order. I don't care. We just need to, keep you know, and and they rationalize it as it'll confuse them and it'll it'll create a permanent rolling problem for the Japanese rather than. You know, actually, if all, all of our aircraft all turned up at once, we'd completely, we'd do for them. And, you know, as it is, as the battle plays out, that works for the Americans. But it's not it's not because they've, um,
1: well, they've well, got does, their shit you, together but, particular, particularly, is it? Well, you yeah, yeah, but, know, but it's also that... So, so it's about... I mean, if you think about the Japanese fleet, you know, that neither of them have had... of No one has done huge, great kind of carrier actions. Yeah at yeah. sea before. This is this is brand new. But what but what yeah. the Japanese have been doing is doing carrier operations off China. Yeah. in 1937 and 1938 and what yeah. what have yeah, yeah. you and sending it you know so they have got combat experience they haven't got combat experience of, of kind of taking on another fleet the uh, <coughs> americans are even kind of further behind the, the ball yeah. in terms of in terms of experience yeah. what you've got with the japanese though is their carrier pilots are just supremely well trained yeah, yeah so they've got a very very good you know the fighter like the zero for example is a is a, yeah. is a really good highly maneuverable plane and although it's kind of weakly armored um in the hands of really, really experienced pilots, and you, yeah. you know, you've got 500 hours in your logbook before you're yeah. kind of going yeah, operational. Yeah. You know that that that's, but that's that, at a level but, that not even by 1944 the Allies are, are have. But Jim,
0: that's also a mark of the fact that the Japanese are halfway through their war. That when in from yes, 40, it is 41, but, 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 but 41, but they're halfway through, and the the Ameri- the Americans are like, you know, jump, jump jump starting themselves.
1: Which is what, but but this is why Midway is so important because well, because I, I, it gives them a bloody nose and over, and then. But then there are these series of attritional naval battles off the coast of Guadalcanal, um, <clears throat> some of which the Americans come out on top, some of which the Japanese come out on top. But the attritional kind of, yeah, the, the, it, so 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 there are some tactical victories for the Japanese, but there are strategic, you know, the overall yeah. strategic victory yeah. for yeah. an operational victory for, for for the Americans. By the end of nineteen forty-three, beginning of nineteen forty-four, there hadn't been a huge amount of naval engagements in in nineteen forty-three. What the Americans realise is what we need to do. Is we need to get that navy, the Japanese Navy, into to a come decisive to, navy. To come to battle. Well, <coughs> to what, come to battle, and how do we do that?
0: But, 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 this again and again in American thinking and American strategy is what they, they they like to do is bring a battle, big week. Yeah. The the Americans pull it together. The, the way we're going to do this is we're going to we're going to create a situation where they have to they have to they have to engage us. They've yep. got no option but to engage us, and we'll use it to inflict irreversible damage to their, um, uh, operational strategic assets, isn't it? That's the, that's, you know, that's a very, very, it's very interesting that that's a, a recurrent theme in American military thinking, isn't it? Does that, is that, is that that historic? Is that, is that, is that, does that come from the American civil war? Where is it? You know know what I mean? Because after all, broad front, broad front, Eisenhower's broad front is, is Grant's broad front, isn't it? You know, it's, um, yeah.
1: Well, I think it probably, it probably does come from that, doesn't yeah. it? I, I, I suspect so. But it's really interesting because, because yeah. you know, by the beginning of 1943, you, you know, it's all changed. You know, Yamamoto's been replaced. You've got yeah. um, Admiral Ozawa Jezaburo, who is the commander of the First Mobile Fleet. And the mer- First Mobile Fleet is what's got, you know, that is yeah. all the surface and carrier battle groups of the Imperial Jap- Japanese Navy. Yeah. And and Ozawa Jisaburo's flagship is a carrier called the Taiho. Yep. And this is absolutely state of the art. You know, it's radio controlled anti-aircraft guns, it's got, you know, sweeping radar, it's got armoured flight deck, it's got Sweet. you know it, you know, it's it's absolutely cutting edge. But but they've rushed it into kind of into being. You know, it's it's sort yep. of laid down in nineteen forty one, it's kind of ready by the end of nineteen forty three, beginning of nineteen forty four. And it's so complex that they have to make the engineering officer commander because he's the only one who knows how to sail it properly. Oh, dear. And then when they do sea trials, it's absolutely abundantly clear that they just don't know how to operate. You know, no one is trained enough because they've had so many losses by this stage that they're having to kind of pummel these people in without the training that they had in the 1930s. And so it's this amazing carrier. So, so hold on and of course, it, And of course it gets sunk in the Battle of the Philippine Sea, which is the big yeah. naval engagement that brings them all to uh, in June 1944.
0: So are you saying that an Axis um, power um, went too far technologically um, and spent valuable money, time, resources, and trained personnel on, on a piece of kit that was a white elephant? You're not saying, suggesting that an Axis well, power might well, do Well, I might such be suggesting
1: that. Too. <laughs> so, so by that stage, by, by 1944, you know, the the Japanese Navy is still incredibly strong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, six battleships, nine carriers, yeah. 500 yeah. aircraft, 13 yeah. cruisers, 28 destroyers. But then you look at the Fifth Fleet. Yes. Okay, so this is just, just the Fifth the Fleet. fleet. Yeah, it's yeah. not the Seventh. It's not the Third. This is it's the just fifth the Fifth Fleet.
0: fleet
1: yeah. Task Force Fifty Eight, commanded yeah. you know, overall Fifth Fleet is commanded by Admiral Spruance, our old friend. Yeah. yeah. Seven fast battleships, fifteen carriers of eight hundred ninety-one aircraft, twenty-one cruisers of all types, and sixty-nine destroyers. And that's before you've also included the submarines. So, so the, they, the, the Japanese just do not... It's just not going to happen for them. Now, I mean, that naval commitment.
0: I know it's Germany first. It's huge. I know it's Germany first, right? It's American it's, policy. It's, it's Germany that,
1: only just first.
0: I mean, it's... I mean, it sounds pretty neck and neck, That doesn't it? If that's just the fifth fleet. How yes. interesting. Because that's the expensive stuff. Ships are Ships are really bloody expensive, aren't they? lots yeah. of big ships with lots of aircraft on that's, that's
1: and all the ships and all the ships that are supplying those ships oh
0: yeah 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 oh yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and setting up depots on and you the, know pacific atolls and the oil on guam you know which yeah. later gets captured yeah. in the uh, you know in um but well that's part of the mariana isn't it but um yeah. you know it's 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 absolutely extraordinary uh, and it's just been fascinating doing sort of delving into this and just seeing how kind of woeful the the situation is so. So, in other words, you've got you know you've got you've got this. The Japanese by 1944 have still got a yeah. technologically cutting edge navy. Yeah. But but they haven't got the operational prowess to go with it. I want to talk about
0: I want to talk about Dill at some point as well because I've been reading. About
1: yes. Dill. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, let's do that. Completely okay. well, forgotten. Got, you know.
0: You know the, the forgotten hero of the Second World War. I mean, Dill. World War Two. Dill is absolutely right in there, yeah. and and he never gets talked about.
1: Well, we've we've done a tiny little bit of rehabilitating of um, Admiral Leahy, haven't we? Yeah, so maybe yeah, we should yeah, do... Look at Dill. General Dill. Cause, cause he's Phil the, Marshall Dill. Phil Marshall Dill. He's the missing... He's the missing link. And, of
0: course, because he dies, no memoirs, no... You know, doesn't yeah. get to write his version of events. And yeah. and Churchill Churchill essentially, you know, um, uh, vanishes him, doesn't he, from the account? Because yeah. they fell yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, that's all from us for today. Um, thanks very much for listening. On Thursday... Um, uh, we have Caroline Shenton talking about um, hidden art in the Second World War. I think that's right. And um, uh, live casts, Patreon, all sorts of stuff. And the festival. Don't forget that we have Ways Festival. Um, a good, good time guaranteed for all. Uh, terms and conditions apply. You have to be a Second World War to like it. Um, nerd to like <laughs> it. Um, we, will, we will see you
1: all soon. Cheerio. Bye bye. Cheerio.